0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brent. I'll get the uh, laptop fired up while I tell you how excited I am to get this opportunity to speak with you today. And I hope through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be just excited to hear me speak today uh, when this is all said and done. Uh, The pastor called me and said... uh, would, would you like to, to speak again? And first of all, I was surprised because it's been a while, so I thought, well, maybe last time I didn't do something right, and he hasn't asked. But I am so glad uh, that he gave me this opportunity, and this is something that's been on my heart for a long, long time. This wasn't something that just came to mind when the pastor called me about what I could speak on. In fact, when he called me, uh, he said, uh, I want you to think about speaking. I said, yes, I will speak. Uh, already had this on my mind and had already been looking at this topic as it has been burning on my heart for quite some time. And the reason that it is burning on my heart today and has been for quite some time is that I spend a lot of time hanging out with Christians. I know you guys are going to find that hard to believe, but I do. I hang out with them a lot and a lot of Christians from different churches and different organizations and... uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of a people person. So I tend to get into people's lives when I hang out with them and I find out about them and what makes them tick. And although I don't hear very good, ask my wife, the Holy Spirit quickens my hearing a lot. Uh, And during the interactions with these Christians and while I watch them out in public, I hear things that disturb me about Christians. And I know you find that hard to believe too. Uh, but that's what led me to this topic today, perfect love, perfect life. And that's what I want for you guys today. It's not just for heaven, it's for here on earth. And uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And will you stand with me as we uh, read this morning's key verse, just a very short one. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Now, just in case you need to know this, 1 John is way, way in the back. It's in front of Revelations, which is in front of Jude. So uh, you go back in front of Revelations and Jude, and you'll find the 1 Johns, uh, 2 John, 3 John. We're going to talk from 1 John today, chapter 4, 11 and 12. And this is in the Revised Standard Version, probably not a lot of you carrying that, but it used the word perfected, so that's why I chose this version. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Amen? Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you noticed... In the middle of this verse, it says no man has ever seen God. And I've studied for this speaking, uh, this moment for quite a a while, a couple weeks now. And this part of that verse just really doesn't mesh. It doesn't go with what I want to say. So it's been bothering me. Um, So I went and did what anybody would do. And I go look at everybody else's talk on this scripture and find out that The point uh, that they're making here that John is, is bringing to light is that no man has ever seen God, but we love God. Having never seen him, we love him because we know what he has done for us and what he has given for us, and that compels us then to love God. So that got me past that portion of it. But then if you take that, then you realize that he's saying, okay, if you love God, who you've never seen, should you not love one another, who you've seen and interact with daily? So keep that in mind as we progress through this message. Story time, I was gonna have my sweater like Mr. Rogers has. And guess what, I went to my closet and I don't have a Mr. Rogers sweater, but. Picture me putting on my Mr. Rogers sweater, and I have a story I wanna share with you today. And this story takes place in a restaurant. You pick the restaurant, but this restaurant has to have a cashier uh, at the door with a cash register where they check out. It's a very popular restaurant, and there was a large group of people sitting in the lobby waiting to be seated. Who happened to be badge-wearing Christians? I mean, you could tell by looking at them. It had a lot to do with the cross on their back, but you knew they were Christians. You didn't have to see their love. You knew they were Christians by their back patch. So they're sitting in the lobby. A young man and his, uh, they told me it was his daughter. I thought it was a boy, but uh, anyway, I'm going to go with son. Young young man and his son are checking out at the register. Um, The lady there had already told us, the group I was with, that they were short of help. COVID probably, it's hitting everywhere. They were short of help that day. They would get us seated as soon as they could. The man goes to the register to check out and he says to the lady, he says, my meal wasn't very good today says, I've eaten here several times, and I've never had a cold meal, and my meal was cold today. And he started to expound upon how miserable the meal was and how his visit there that day wasn't a pleasurable experience. The lady who was already exacerbated because she was shorthanded, didn't have staff uh, to fill the needs, and, and uh, there were people that needed to be fed, and she couldn't service them, was... Uh, not really enjoying this interaction with this gentleman. I mean, at this point, there's nothing she could have done anyway. But I think he just wanted to, let's say, in a rather forceful manner, share his opinion uh, of his meal that day. And um, suddenly, from that crowd of cross-wearing Christians, pops a person, cash in hand, that says, Sir, the Lord has blessed me. I want to be a blessing to you today and your son. Let me purchase your meal. He says, I'm sorry that it wasn't up to your standards. And I know that that they're shorthanded today and that may have led to that. But allow me, because the Lord blessed me, allow me to bless you and your son today and purchase your meal. Oh, no, I can't. I can't do that. The meal wasn't that bad anyway. We did eat it. No, no, please allow me. He continued to insist. And eventually, the, the gentleman did uh, allow this person to buy his meal and, and, and uh, was very grateful for that, and it relieved that situation. Now, you might think that's my story, but that's just part of it. The story continues later at the table once all of those cross-wearing Christians got seated. They said to the man who went up and paid for it, his meal says, you really put him in his place. And he says, what? He says, you really put him in his place. Did you see how he backed off when you paid for that meal? He said, hey, I ate it anyway. It wasn't that bad. He says, you really took care of him. The man said, that was not my intention. My intention was just what I said. I wanted to bless him and his son because they'd had a a subpar meal. I believe they did. And he wanted to bless that man. And he also wanted to bless that cashier who had to deal with that uncomfortable situation. So that man who did that for that young man and his son and that cashier, in my opinion, by my definition, practiced perfect love. He sacrificed his own income that he had worked for to buy that meal that he didn't eat for a person he didn't know and to comfort a hostess that he had just met. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today, perfect love can be practiced in our everyday lives and should be practiced in our everyday lives. Now I wanted to go purchase one of those little metal fish that people put on the back of their car and offer that to someone here today, but I didn't do that because I didn't figure anybody wants one. Does anybody want one of those on their car? No. Because we don't always drive perfect, do we? Right. So that was going to be my, my, my point with that was uh, keep in mind how you advertise who you are unless you're going to be what you are. So let's take a look at the word perfect. We think we know what it means. I thought I knew what it meant. I think Merriam-Webster and I are, are in agreement, but the Oxford Dictionary and I don't exactly get along real well. I think it's more of a worldly view of perfection. And they say, the condition, state, or quality of being free or as free as possible from all flaws or defects. So you're free as possible, not totally free, but that's their definition of perfection. Now I like the second one a little bit better, absolute or complete. And I thought, well, that sounds perfect. That sounds pretty close to perfect. Although you can complete an automobile accident and that's not a perfect situation, but you could complete it. So then three, Merriam-Webster gets it, being entirely without fault or defect, flawless. I like that definition. And that matches my Savior. When I think about him, he is entirely without fault or defect and flawless. And guess what? So is his love. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, Cambridge English Dictionary threw that in complete and correct in every way of the best possible type or without fault. Just to let you know, not everybody uh, settles for less than perfect in their perfection. So I wanted to offer a few life examples. (laughs) And uh, Brent didn't know. I do not even know if he knew I was going to talk, let alone what I was going to talk about. But last week, during uh, your communion devotion, you mentioned the perfect game. And if you could have imagined what was going through my mind at that time, I thought, oh my goodness, does he know? Did the pastor talk to him? I wasn't sure. And so it worked out perfect. If you were here last week, he shared about a picture. I think it was 1818? Uh, 1880. 1880? Speaking, no exactly. Doesn't the Lord work in mysterious ways? He provided my first life example because I wasn't going to use that. It hadn't occurred to me that that was an example of perfection until Brent had shared this last week. So a perfect ball game, And... Um, my definition of perfection is the attainment of a standard established by a governing body. That's going to be important here in a little bit, so I wanted to share that. So the governing body that outlines a perfect ball game is Major League Baseball. So that's the, the people who take care of that and they say this is what a perfect ball game is. Now I did actually go back and research this. There is a lot of criteria about a perfect ballgame. It just doesn't happen on a whim. You've got to do the A, B, C's, and D's. You've got to fill in all of that criteria to make that happen. Now, this next one's a bit of a stretch for you guys from the 80s. The perfect car. I'm a car guy, motorcycle guy. I like that. This, in my opinion, was the perfect car. It has a stainless steel body that never rusts. So any of you who drive older cars know that rust is your enemy. If you have a DeLorean, I've seen some of them in the ads for sale. And I think they were around 74, 75. They still look like that. If you polish them up, I mean, they would still look like that. Minus the flux capacitor and the electromagnetic um, hinky that surrounds it. Now, if you take this vehicle, and and Dr. Emmett Brown was going to be my governing body that says this is the perfect car. 88 miles an hour, subject it to a high voltage discharge, and you're suddenly someplace back in the future. If you guys don't understand that, I guess you're just going to have to go to Netflix. Netflix. Okay, and here's something a little bit more concrete we can put our fingers on. The perfect gymnastics performance. The score, 10.0. That is the perfect score. There is not an 11 in gymnastics. You don't get an 11.1. 10.0 is the perfect performance. And we outlined just a few of those performances uh, that Wikipedia liked that uh, will remind you of these times. Do you remember the name Nadia Kamenichi? Uneven bars in 1976, had a perfect 10. And sh- this is a great one, Schlepvana Korkina. Probably didn't get that right. Balance beam in 1995, I bet she was Russian. And Caitlin Ohashi in the floor in 2019. And I didn't know if Christy Yamaguchi or whatever her name was got one or not, but she wasn't in my list so I didn't include her and I didn't go back and look. The governing body behind that is the, uh, called USA Gymnastics and it was actually created by an act that the government passed in 1978, the Ted Stevens Olympic and Amateur Sports Act. So the government got involved and became the governing body there. set the governing body. Okay, now let's get down to the perfect example of love as we think about that. Two famous scriptures we all all know and use frequently. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. He loved the world that much. And then Romans 5 8, but God commanded his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now I know we all have a past, and we can all remember that, several more colorful than others, but sin is sin, and God saw our sin, and still knowing that we sin, gave his life for us. That is sacrificial, sacrificial giving. That is perfect love in action. And that is what I want to call the church to today. And why? Because of 1 Corinthians 14.1. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Especially the ability to prophesy. Let love be your highest goal. Pursue love, number one. I thought about the Beatles song, All We Need Is Love. Great song. Um, love should be our first priority. And then here again, the Lord stuck a second part of the scripture in here that didn't match with my message. And we talked about this, the Lord and I. In fact, I think I talked to Paul a little bit about it too. What were you thinking here? And... Um, I imagined times when I have ministered uh, to people to speak to them about the Lord. And I thought, there are certain things I know about being a Christian and about accepting the Lord and about being a sinner that some might call prophecy because I know how people are going to feel I know how things are going to go if they accept the Lord. And I know what the Lord has planned for them. So I rationalized in my Bill mind here that prophecy actually is a evangelistic tool that one could use when you're talking to someone to let them know, here you are. Here's where you can be in Christ. So you're basically prophesying. So I accepted that part as uh, the second half of the scripture with that in mind. Love is God's message to the world. As ambassadors, we are to help spread that message. Prophecy gives the believer credibility to witness for the Lord. Can you guys buy that? Amen. Amen. I can too. awful lot of scripture here. I just tell you, I just poured the scripture at you because the scripture is truth and it I can't put a spin on it. It is what it is. So I wanted to share with you guys the truth today so that you take this message and know that it was from God, not from Bill. Uh, Bill's been convicted about it and Bill's working on it and hopefully this uh, will be your moment. If it hasn't, if you've not already seen this light, that you'll understand how perfect love can change a Christian's life to be more Christ-like. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, I'll share all of these scriptures with you if you want. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You'll see my heading on here, what if I don't want to? So what if you don't want to practice perfect love? What if it makes you uncomfortable? What if you feel like that's not your calling? Here's your what if you don't want to right here, right in your face. Matthew 7, 21, 23. To know someone is to love. And if you don't love God enough to share his love, then this is what you're going to hear one day. And I want that for none of us. I want that for none of us because... First of all, it means a dire circumstance during eternity, but it also means that that one person is taken out of the commission of Jesus, which is to share the gospel. If you can't share love, if you can't show love, you can't show Jesus because Jesus is love. Amen. It is just that simple. And I'm telling you, when it happened, when I realized that, It turned on a light bulb, like a 60-watt light bulb. Just suddenly the room lit up that this is so simple and so easy to do. When you let this message permeate your mind and your everyday life, you'll find yourself looking for ways to share God's perfect love with others. Matthew chapter 19. And you'll notice I jumped around to several different versions. Uh, I basically would shop. I had my mother's. Uh, parallel Bible it has four different versions of the Bible in there. And I shopped for the one that had the verbiage that I felt like best supported my point. And I went with the New and International Version on this scripture. And it talks about the rich young ruler. Everybody's familiar with this. I'm not going to read the whole thing here. You guys can. It's there. Um, but I want to talk about where um, Jesus replied, Ye shall not murder. Ye shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father, mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the the young man responds, all of these things I have kept. Now, Jesus never confronts the young man about his answer, which to me means he was telling the truth. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, you know, that's not the truth. That's what he did with the woman at the well. He confronted her and said, well... You say that, but here's what actually the situation is. So this young man had done all of these things. And Jesus asked him to do one more thing. Two, if you want to break it down. But it was one thing. And that was to sell everything he had and give the money to the poor. Well, I'm confused now because it says Jesus told him to love his neighbor as himself himself. We love to take care of ourselves. I know I do. I am all into the luxuries. And he said he had done all of these things. So again, I had to go look at somebody else's commentary on this. And I put Leviticus 19.18 there at the bottom. And I used the New International Version as well. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus is Old Testament, Jewish or Israel or the Israel uh, people. So it was in that community that they were talking about. See, routinely they didn't get along with other nations back then. So the idea of loving the Philistines in the Old Testament really isn't preached. We have a New Testament love now that goes much farther than what has ever gone before. So that's how I explained the context in there, where this young man, although he said he loved his neighbor as himself, he truly didn't love his neighbors, his people outside of his inside community, outside of his family, outside of his culture. Uh, and that's what God calls us to, because he came to everyone, to the Jew and to the Gentile. And that's what he calls us to today. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Peter's qualifications as well. Uh, Look at this, uh, St. John. This is a regular book of John now. We're in chapter 21, going through verses 15 and 17. They have the interaction between Jesus and Peter. And I know you guys have already noticed, I just summarized this. This is not scripture. This is just my summary of the conversation Jesus asks, "Do you love me?" He's talking about agape love. The first time he asks, agape love is what I'm talking about. That perfect love, that selfless love that gives of oneself regardless of the result, not for any kind of gain, just out of love. Peter responds, "Yes, Lord, I love you." Filio, which means a brotherly love. Kind of like I love Bill and uh, I love Brent, brotherly love. They're my brothers in Christ. I love them that way. Now, if their life was in danger, I don't know if I'd jump in front of, you know, something to save him or not. I'm not really sure about that yet, okay, if I have that filial love. So that's where Peter was right there. So Jesus hangs in with him. He hangs in with Peter. Bless his heart. Um, because after all, he was willing to cough a guy's ear for him. So you might as well stick in there with him. So Jesus asks him again, says, do you love me? Again, he uses agape, that perfect love. And Peter responds yet again, yes, Lord, I love you, just like a brother, second time. So then Jesus compromises with Peter. Now, had Peter gone to agape love, we can only theorize what might have happened Uh, Maybe he would have gotten a different job rather than leaving the church or leading the church. I don't know. But Peter finally does say, yes, Lord, I love you as a brother. And Jesus gives him the commands to to lead the church, to feed his sheep, to feed his lambs uh, and become the the cornerstone of the church. So where else is agape love found in the Bible? John 316 we talked about earlier. And in 1 John 4, 8, and 9, which is the setup for our key verse today, they talk about that agape love. You don't see agape love used a lot in the Old Testament for some reason. I was interested in what Billy Graham might have to say, and I did want to put a picture in here other than the DeLorean. So I thought this was an excellent opportunity. And I love the way the pastor has quotes of famous writers and things. So I chose Billy Graham. And his definition of agape love is selfless love, the love that God wants us to have. It isn't just emotion, but a conscious act of the will. So it's a decision that you make, a deliberate decision on our part to put others ahead of ourselves. This is the kind of love that God has for us. This is the existence that he wants us to have as Christians so God has given us a God by love. Again, I wanted to have plenty of scripture to back this up. Romans 5 chapter 5. Now, this hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is where I started to feel the difference between the Old and New Testament. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us gives us that capacity. It's the container that gives us the ability to hold and to command God's perfect love. John 17, 26. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Now we're listening to a phone call between Jesus and God here and he's saying the love that you gave me, I'm giving it to them so that they may know that I am in them. So that was the cell phone call between God and Jesus. Uh, if you think about it in that context, it helps you to understand that verbiage there. And that declares what he has done and how he has done it and how it is to affect our lives. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. So for us to go out and practice perfect love, it's not something that we're going to be able to do without the Holy Spirit in us. We have to have that selfless love that is God in His persona in us. And then we've got to have the power to do it, the means to do it, and we've got to have the perfect love to do it. But guess what else is very important here in 2 Timothy is the self-discipline. Imagine if you have the power and you have the money to do this and even the love, but you don't have the ability to control it. Having the power of the Holy Spirit in our persona is a mighty, mighty thing. Something that a mortal man can't yield. We need the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the self-discipline that He gives through prayer, supplication, fasting, study of the Scriptures, to know how to yield this. Otherwise, we're just one of God's weapons that's gone awry. Okay, I made this one really big. Must be important. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a New Testament scripture, so we're not talking about that Levitical neighbor. We're talking about everyone, everyone that you come in contact. I made just a short list. I could have gone much farther, and you guys know that, but our families And I wanted to share a little bit about with that, our families. That is the most important investment you'll ever make, but oddly enough, one that I think fathers take for granted the most. And I'll just share just a brief example. Uh, My dad didn't accept the Lord until he was like 65, 70. He was way up there. Um, He stayed home and watched the Happy Jubilee show while we went to church every Sunday. Uh, but hadn't given his heart to the Lord. And one thing that always confused me about that man, and I love him dearly, it didn't matter what he did, I loved him, but he didn't treat us as children and mother, as mother in the family, as well as he treated other people, people that he worked with, people who would come by the house to visit, uh, people we would run into when we were out in public. And I thought, why is dad not treating us as well as he's treating those other people. Well it kind of tied back to the to the sermon that the pastor gave about three or four weeks ago about pride. It was his reputation uh, that he was serving until he learned to love the Lord and have that perfect love. And when that happened, although I was much older then, I had a different father. So if you're a father today, or even if you're not, if you're a husband, if you're a boyfriend, If you're a girlfriend, a mother, remember that your most important love next to God is your love for your family because you're their testimony. They see God in you. And what they need to see is that selfless giving love that Jesus shared on the cross. Our co-workers spend a lot of time with us. Uh, Convenience store attendants. A very brief relationship you may have for just a little bit, but can make a world of difference. Restaurant workers, as I shared the story before, toll booth operators. We don't have those here. Some people do, and their job is is just awful. I wouldn't want that job. Uh, And they need to know the love of the Lord as well during that short exchange. Fellow drivers. That's a challenge right there, folks. Fellow drivers. Believe it or not, you can share the love of the Lord with just one turn signal or one less honk or a little bit of brake pedal. There's all kinds of ways to share that perfect love. Policemen and firemen, governor, government officials, what if we showed unconditional love for all of our government officials? Do you realize we're witnessing the love of Jesus to them in that act? And what would that change? What would be the repercussions once they experience the love of Jesus. And what's going to happen? They're going to want that. They're going to want that in their lives. And then we don't have to become the Christian government. We could just change our government to be Christian. So think about that. Our boss and his boss. You spend a lot of time with those guys. I try not to, but we have to sometimes. And we need to show them God's unconditional love as well. Show them who we are water company employees, state and county construction crews, the car wash attendant. That guy needs God's love. I can tell you, that's a rough job. And they respond well to it. They really do. Did you know that as long as you get your window back up before you get into the sudsy part, you can slip a tip out there and give them a God bless you or a little card with a tip and do a lot of work right there in the middle of the car wash and still get your car cleaned and our actual next-door neighbors. Next to our family and our spouse, our next-door neighbors probably know more about us than anybody. Keep that in mind as you're sharing God's perfect love. I took 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I chose the English Standard Version because I, I just like the way it reads. It's I'm sure familiar with all of you. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong, or a clinging cymbal. And you guys know this whole scripture. I took it, and I changed it to the me version. So you'll notice there's several dashes in there. And what I want us all to do is recite this together. That's why I didn't recite the original version. I want us to recite this together. But every time you see a dash, put your name in there, and listen to what happens. Join with me. If Bill speaks in the tongues of men and angels, but has not love, Bill is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if Bill has prophetic powers and understands all mysteries and all knowledge, and if Bill has all faith, so as to remove mountains, but has not love, Bill is nothing. If Bill gives away all he has... And if he delivers up his body to be burned, but has not love, Bill will gain nothing. Bill is patient. Bill is kind. Bill does not envy or boast. Bill is not arrogant or rude. Bill does not insist on his own way. Bill is not irritable or resentful. Praise the Lord. Bill does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And Bill bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When Bill was a child... Bill spoke like a child, Bill thought like a child, Bill reasoned like a child, and when Bill became an adult, Bill gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, Bill knows in part, then Bill shall know fully, even as Bill has been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these 3 but the greatest of these is love i hope that had an impact on you i just want to revisit our key verse what we learned today if god so loved us we also ought to love one another for no man has ever seen god if we love one another god abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Allow yourself to be perfected by the Holy Spirit. If not today, soon it's imperative when we get to that judgment seat that he doesn't say, "Who are you again? I'm not I don't know you." Know him now and know him in the fullness of his love. I'm going to have the elders come forward and I want to have an altar service just on the off chance that you've had a rough week and you've exploded and you haven't done uh, this week what the Lord would have had you have done and you haven't shared that perfect love and you don't wanna leave this building in that condition. I'm gonna offer the chance to come forward and I'm gonna pray for the congregation and while God's love is perfect, we're still not perfect Christians. So we are gonna mess up, but we need to realize that love conquers all. Come ahead, Pam.